0: Reading from God's Word this morning in the book of Ephesians. So I tell you this, and insist on, the, on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of Him and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by the, its deceitful desires, to be a new in the, in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in the true righteousness just as in God Christ God just as in Christ God forgave you be imitators of God therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God Amen
1: This morning, we're going to be in that passage that uh, Aaron just read. Thank you, Darren. If you all would turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, that'd be great.
0: Uh, first, look outside. This
1: is crazy. The weather, I mean, uh, is this the first snow? Yes, I think so. And it's coming down, it's beautiful. Um, I was just talking with Sally how yesterday I walked out, I'm dressed, and I put my t shirt on, and I walked outside. And like, we were rushed out, so we rushed outside and then all day I was freezing because I was just wearing a t-shirt. But I learned better. I put on this. And warmer today. And uh, it just made me think of how, you know, as the environment changes, we, like, I need to adapt and change with it, right? When it gets colder out, there's certain things I need to do in order to prepare for the winter, right? I need to get on my warmer clothes. I need to put on my coat. If I didn't do yesterday. Um, otherwise, we're going to be cold all the time. And there's other things that we do, right, to prepare for the winter. Maybe that's, uh, you know, turning the heat on, or winterizing our homes or our vehicles. Um, maybe that's eating more soups so or that sort of thing. Less grilling out, less mowing the yard. These things we kind of change along with the season. And that's that's kind of like what Paul is getting at here. He's saying look, you guys have new life in Christ. And there's certain behaviors and actions that are characteristic of this new life in Christ. The environment has changed, your identity has changed. So you need to do the things that are in accordance with that new change. It uh, makes me think of how before before and I were here, uh, some of you may know we were living in the Dominican Republic. And living overseas. I don't know. Has anybody lived overseas? It doesn't really matter where you go. There's a huge cultural shift and when you're in that other space, you need to over time, we to have to adapt to that culture. So we were there and there were new customs and new rhythms and new holidays, new practices, new foods, and uh, of course new language, speaking Spanish and all that. And just to, just to highlight a few, so here we're in a very like productivity driven culture, right? We're 85, putting in 40, 50, sometimes 60 hours a week. Um, over there, it was like, get up, start work at 9, take a siesta in the middle of the afternoon, finish up around 5. It's just more laid back. For better or worse, it's just different, just more siesta culture, right? Um, household habits were different too. Here, we just kind of turn on the, or we don't even turn on the hot water. There, we don't take a hot shower, you gotta flip the switch and let it warm up, to so kind of plan ahead. And there are lots of times it's like, man, I am for a hot shower right now, but you gotta wait 30 minutes for the water to warm <laughs> uh, Drinking water from the tap, just take that for granted here. Over there, no, you can't drink the water from the tap. You gotta get your big, you know, we've got the collagen jugs here, you gotta get those big jugs get them from the, from the corner store, you bring them into your house, or call somebody to bring them into your house. And then that's the water you drink, that's the water you brush your teeth with. Um, lots of people recommend that's the water you cook with. So it's just, it's just all these different practices that come with living in a different place. Um, and then here's another one of huge, excuses, like the safety thing here. Like, I don't know, if any of you all go to Starbucks and work or something, take a computer with you, I do it, I'll just leave my computer there, go use the restroom, come back, it's fine. There you, you get off the plane, you start seeing these people's homes, and it's like there's iron bars on the windows, and there's gates, we had four keys to get into our home. One of the gate was stairs, and you walk up and then the iron gate and then the other gate. So it's just like all this these different practices, you have to be thinking, okay, am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I being safe? Am I gonna injure myself? All these things, that come with, um, you have to adopt these these new behaviors uh, in order to be safe there. When we when we first got on the island, our supervisor said, "You have to prepare for drastic personal reorientation." And that phrase still sticks in my mind: drastic personal reorientation. Um, it's drastic. It's personal. And it's complete reorientation to the values and practices and the customs that you're that you're used to, uh, because our identity changed. We were used to be. Americans living in the United States. Now we're Americans living in this different country, this different culture. And all, all that all that sort of backstory as an image, as a metaphor to who we are in Christ, Paul has just spent three chapters saying, this is, this is who you are in Christ. And now he's getting to the place where he's like saying, this is how you live in accordance with it. This is how you live in accordance with it. Your identity has changed. You've been adopted into the family of God. There are family values that you need to adopt in order to live in accordance with that. And, um, so this is, this is where we start this morning. Um, last week, Pastor Dan explained how at the, at the root of the process, is moving us towards, is towards maturity and towards unity. And the image that, that Paul gives here is like a body. it's like each of you are different parts of the body, but you're all functioning together. And, and now, here are some practices that you can adopt. Here are some things that you can do in order to grow in maturity and in unity. So these, these aren't just morals, but what he's getting at here, these aren't just virtue advice lists. In order to make you more moral, there, there's a purpose behind them, a foundation. Of, he wants to move us toward unity and maturity. So with that, let's go ahead and, uh, and pray, and then we'll get into this here. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the wonderful weather, Um, let us, as we go about our days, remember that just as when winter comes, we have to uh, adapt, so when we're brought into your family, Lord, you help us grow into this new life uh, with these certain practices and these certain values. So help us this morning. Help us to do that, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're going to begin here in verse 17, just kind of go through this a little bit. Paul says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now remember, he's talking to Gentiles here. He's talking to the, the, the Greeks and Ephesus. He said, look, you have to no longer be like that. You have these cultural assumptions and values, no longer live like that. He says, Don't live as the Gentiles do in their futility of thinking, their darkness in their understanding. And separate it from the life of God because of the ignorance that is. In them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And they are full of greed. To so say, look, listen here, pay attention. I'm insisting on this. You're, you're ethnically Gentiles, but you are no longer to ethnically be living like Gentiles, but rather living as children and, uh, of God. Your identity has changed. Your values and your behavior need to change, too. Notice what he says. He says, their thinking, as Gentiles, is futile. It's pointless. It's producing no good fruit. It's lacking any substance. It's futile. And they're darkened in their understanding. So what they understand is not clear. It's clouded. It's like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're stumbling through your house, trying to go to the bathroom, stepping on Legos, Right? And because of this, their hearts are hard. Their hearts are hard because they're ignorant. And this way of thinking, this way of understanding, is leading them to particular practices. They're indulging in every sort of impurity and sensuality. And they're full of greed. Uh, this, this may be a helpful way of of thinking. Of, let me see if this works here. Um, I got cool. So this is this is a that's a very uh, dead tree. If you can't see, and there's some there's some roots here. Little spider web there. But this is, this is kind of how I see this playing out is, look, they're, they're understanding what the foundation is, is darkened understanding, futile thinking, ignorance. and ignorance. What that's leading to is separation from God and others, which is playing out the, the, the fruit that is being born from these roots in purity. No sensitivity, greediness, hard-heartedness. Their thinking affects their actions. Then he says in verse 20, that is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him, in accordance with the truth, that is in Jesus. See what Paul's doing and saying, look, there's two ways of living here. One is apart from the body of Christ, as the Gentiles do, the other is connected to God. Here, here's kind of the opposite of this. Uh, and, and we're going to get to this, too, as he's talking about the different fruits that, that grow from this. But he says here, he says, the new way of thinking is, is in accordance with the truth that is Jesus. Truth is the opposite of darkness. Truth is light, right? You understand.
0: So there's a foundation of
1: truth. Uh, it's it's kind of like it's it's kind of like when, when two people get married or something. Like there's the or, or maybe think about it like this. Uh, when somebody gets adopted, right? When somebody gets adopted, there's maybe the legal transaction of like, okay, the paper signed, you're in our family. But then there's the process of growing to become like that. And Paul is saying, look, you were taught a new way in life, so live according to it. In uh, verse twenty-two, he says, "You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitudes of your minds." And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is, this is the whole crux of his argument right here, is that there are there are two lives in there completely incompatible. You have to be uprooted from this soil that's poisoning you and, and producing poisonous fruit to you and to those around you, and be replanted in this in this new soil. Um, that gives life to you and those around you. Um, we grow into this this new life. Of course, this, this metaphor is limited, right? Because uh, it's something that Paul is instructing the, the Corinthians to do or the, the Ephesians to do, and so it's not like it's just a tree that blooms as soon as it's planted in new soil. It's something that you that you work at and you participate with. Um, so maybe this maybe this will help. That there, there comes a moment when we, when we know Christ, when we learn about Him from teaching that comes, and we, we accept the grace and the forgiveness, and then over time, our life begins to look more like it, as He intended. And isn't this awesome? It says, as He intended, is it for us to grow to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's this, there's this process that we participate in, that the Holy Spirit is. Is moving us towards. Um, think about think about how I say this. He's saying you the the renewing of the attitudes of your minds is how this happens. You put off the old self, be renewed in the attitudes of your minds, and put on the new self. And I think that this is key. That the, that the way that we think affects the behaviors. And so he's saying you're being taught this new way transformed, be renewed in the actions of your mind. And we're going to get back to that. Uh, so now he's going to spell out what, what specifically this looks like. Look at verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off also and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Jump down to verse 29 as he's going to the talking team talk about speech. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk from out of your mouths, but only this help building others up, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Talk about speech. Speech. Everything you say needs to be true. Everything we say needs to be true. Why? For we are all members of one body. This continues the theme of growing and maturity and unity. John Stott says, a lie is a stab into the very vitals of the body of Christ. Fellowship is built on trust. And trust is built on truth. So falsehood undermines fellowship while truth strengthens it. Just like what Pastor Daniel was preaching about last week, right? Truth and trust and transparency. Um, and and then these things are built over time. Um, but in addition to speaking truthfully, our speech should be wholesome. Another way to translate unwholesome, don't let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth, is rot. So, we're all part of one body, but the way that we use our words can actually rot out the community. But on the contrary, Contrasting that, he says, "Only speak what's helpful for building others up, according to their needs, on those who So, in the same way that our words can deteriorate the community, our words also have the ability to build up the community. I just think that's crazy. Just, I know it's kind of a thing, but isn't it crazy how, in the beginning, God created with His words; He spoke into existence. Isn't it neat that also we can in a way, use our words to cr- create and build up that community. I just think that that's—I that that's incredible. Uh, but what Paul's saying here is like, okay, actually this is simple. How we use our words matters. You know? So how are we using our words? Are we using our words to build others up? Are we building up our community? Or are we tearing others down and ruining the community? We're talking behind people's back. Are we gossiping? Are we are we lying? Gossip, lies, meanness, complaining, tearing each other down. These things have no part in the kingdom of God, and we need to we need to root these out within us and and not do them anymore. And then he talks about anger. Look at verse twenty six. He says, "In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down when you're angry, and don't give the devil. Before. Notice he's saying, don't." He's not saying, don't get angry. In fact, it seems like he's kind of giving permission, but he's kind of qualifying it. Like, in your anger, anger, don't sin. Like, you're going to be angry, but just don't sin when you when you get angry. Um, anger isn't always bad. We see anger in the character of Jesus. We see anger in the character of God. Uh, it isn't the anger that's the problem. It's how we react when we're angry. And here i are going to pull from John's side again, love that guy. He says, uh, there's great need in the contemporary world for more Christian anger. We human beings compromise with sin in a way that God never does. In the face of blatant evil, we should be indignant, not tolerant, angry, not apathetic. If God hates sin, his people should hate it too. If evil arouses sin anger, it should arouse ours as well. What other reaction can wickedness be expected to provoke in those who love God? Remember, not saying hate people. saying "Hey, hate, hate sin. Love people, right? Don't don't sin in your anger. Uh, don't sin in your anger. There's such a fine line between righteous and, and unrighteous anger, and it's, it's, we have to be aware of It's hard for us as simple people to get this this right. Uh, sometimes we're just mad because of pride is injured, right?" We need to make sure that our anger is is free from injured pride, or jealousy, or malice, or animosity, or the spirit of revenge. And then he says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. There's less talking literally here, I think, and more talking about the truth that nursing our anger is kind of dangerous. Don't nurse your anger. And don't give the devil a It's seldom safe to allow the embers to smolder. So John Sott says, he says, the devil loves to lurk around angry people hoping to be able to exploit the situation to his own advantage by provoking them into hatred or violence or breach of fellowship. So we need to be aware of the things that make us angry. For me, I, I had to stop listening to political commentary. I It was just, it wasn't good for me. I mean, it was, this, this, I'm not saying that this is how you need to be or anything, anything, anything I'm just saying it. for me, it was the political commentary and it was embittering was me and um, I realized it wasn't making me more compassionate, it wasn't making me more loving, it wasn't making me kinder, and so I had to look at my life and say, look, why do you get rid of that, at least until I can uh, take it in moderation or control it because I don't like the person that I'm becoming watching or listening and so uh, now I limit both the, the, the quantity of that and also the type and the quality of that. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine and he spent a lot of time in the journalism industry and was saying that uh, these political commentators try to play to your anger because that's what keeps you in. Right? They can get you angry they can kind of hook you in. And that was so interesting to me. It's like it's an intentional thing and it's not
0: it wasn't making me healthier, and so
1: this is the kind of thing that we need to look at our lives and say, "What is it that's making me angry? Is it righteous anger or is it unrighteous anger? Is it moving me towards loving God and loving people more? And if not, we need to get that out of our lives." The devil loves to lurk around angry people, hoping to be able to exploit the situation to his own advantage. He wants to provoke you. To Hatred, he wants to pr- provoke you to violence, uh, or a breach of fellowship. The violence thing is not me. I don't think I'd ever be violent. Most of us are probably socially conditioned not to be violent, right? But a breach of fellowship. A breach of fellowship. Is it making us love others, maybe near us, or other individuals, or other groups, or whatever? Is it is it making us love others more? So. Uh, so in verse 30, when he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of the redemption, I think what he's getting at is these are the sorts of things that, that grieve the Holy Spirit. If we're Christians, we receive the Holy Spirit. And so long as we are uh, hurting others or using our words to tear them down, we're, we're hurting others, we're hurting ourselves, hurting the grieving the Spirit of God. So then, then Paul gives this list of virtues and vices. 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, in Christ have to be forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly love each other, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and he gave himself. Up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's see a slide again. This one. No, this one. This one. Bitterness, rage and anger, wrong and slander, malice. They're all attitudes and actions that we need to get rid of. They're characteristic of our life apart from God. They need to be totally rejected. They have no place in the Christian community. And also we need to practice these things. Phenomenal self, kindness, compassion, forgiveness. These are characteristics of the, the new life. We are dearly loved children. So we need to follow in the example of our dad. Being like God is part of our very purpose. Just to walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in the way of love. Live in love. Notice what love is it's self sacrificial. Christ gave himself up for us, it's outwardly focused. Kindness, compassion, these things have to do with others in the community. Um, we should be swimming in love. I didn't say drowning. <laughs> Those a different things. Swimming in love, though. Those are our responsible. Not just one hour a week, not just five hours a week. Every minute, right? This is what God is doing. This is what it means to be growing in maturity. And these are the things that bind us and unify us together. Remember, it's not just doing these things in order to be more moral. It's doing these things because these are how we grow into a life faith in Christ. Notice the progression here. New thinking leads to new values, which leads to new behaviors. The challenging thing is that uh, we have these old habits and we need to be renewed in the attitudes of our minds. <clears throat> So in, it's not just about these new behaviors. I misspelled behaviors. <laughs> new behaviors. <laughs> um, it's not just about doing that. It's, it's kind of all of all these. Um, I kind of want to think about applications sort of two ways, um, eating and digesting. Eating and digesting. Well, let me explain about this. Learning, and we've got lots of educators in here. Learning is a process of taking in new information uh, and processing or assimilating or adopting that new information. So taking information is like eating, right? We should all be eating. We should all be feeding our minds in a sense. Like things, things in this are like maybe reading your your Bible, you know, listening to biblical teaching, podcasts, maybe getting on the FCC website, listening to old sermons or other churches around listening to sermons. These sorts of things feed our minds. But they're only only half. And I I would say that they're only the the easier half. Um, Digesting is the process of gaining something useful from what you're eating so it provides nutrients, energy, and strength. It's taking what you've learned and giving space to reflect on it so that you can intentionally apply it and grow from it. Um, It's it's like holding the thing that you're learning in one hand and holding your life in the other hand and then thinking about how it's going. What what changes do you need to make in order to apply or grow more into? Uh, the life that that God has for us. Uh, So I wanna show you this, this is helpful for me. This comes from um, a book by Peter Schizero called The Emotionally Healthy Healthy Leadership. And I think it's an adaptation from Bloom's Taxonomy, which I don't really know what that is. But (laughs) you may, Uh, I'll give credit where credit's due. And, uh, I think it's helpful for understanding how we change and grow. We have these ideas we're taught and we become aware of the changes, yeah. but that doesn't mean that we're needed to change, right? We ponder that, that thing, we value it and then that still doesn't need to change. There's this action behavior gap here. And that is really helpful because. I see so many times I've this thing and it's like, oh, I should apply that, but I don't because there's an action behavior gap. What we need to do in order to, in order to own that change is we need to reprioritize, and then we can make space for that change. Uh, let me give a quick example of this. So I probably learned four or five years ago, like, don't snooze your alarm. It's bad for you, right? Chronic mm-hmm. um, snoozer, guilty for sure. Um, I realized like, it's better to just get the extra 40 minutes of sleep than to snooze your clock, whatever. But that didn't mean that I stopped snoozing, right? Um, And if you snooze, that's okay. It's not a moral issue, I think. But I I continued to struggle. But this, I became aware of the change, began to value the change. It wasn't until a couple months ago when I was like, you know what? Here's how I need to reprioritize, right? Here's how I need to reorganize my life. I put my phone in the other room. So when I get up in the morning, I have to literally go into our living room phone By that time, I'm up. I'll just start making coffee. It's worked, right? If, if I if I do snooze, I don't snooze. I set the alarm for later, and I intentionally make the decision to go back to sleep for 40 more minutes or whatever. Uh, so that's how that change has happened because this action behavior gap, I think, is 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 real. Um, I think this is only halfway halfway there though because. This can help us with doing things like maybe you know our prayer lives carving out more time or something. We understand prayer is a good thing, but there's that action-behavior gap. So we need to actually make space, time. But things like love, things like forgiveness, things like kindness—this this model doesn't really work. So I want to show something that I think is is helpful here. This is how we are renewed in the attitudes of our minds. At least a model, you know, models aren't perfect. but who we are in Christ, our new lives as children of God, the way that our behavior eventually changes is through continuing to remind ourselves that we need our right. Our values work will continue to change over time. That's really reflection. I think it's reflection that helps us Think about this and adapt to to become more loving, become more compassionate, become more kind. these sorts of things. And this reflection, you know, happens every day. As we, as something happens in our day, where often times something happens, you don't know, get this bad with our spouse or our kids or whatever. You know, we just move on and don't think about it. But I think in thinking about it and reflecting on, okay, what happened, there? what was that feeling? How how, how did that align with God's will for my life? Or how did that not align with God's will for my life? And then reflect on that, ask for God's grace to be different next time. Um, And then I think adding grace into this whole thing is like we're already Christians, like we're already in the family of God. There's nothing that's gonna like separate us from the love of God, right? So not only is is God for us, he actually sent this Holy Spirit help us in this process. So we need to slow down and reflect and ask the spirit to help us discern how we're living and, and how we can make these changes uh, in and out of our lives. So one, one way to do this is through a, a practice called the examine. And there's other ways to do this. I think we'll put about setting aside time. But if this is helpful, then, then that's, that's great. <coughs> The examen came from Ignatius of Iola, who was kind of the Jesuit uh, community in Iola, one of those. Um, and he, he had his monks practice this a couple of times each day. Right alongside of prayer and scripture, it was this: it was like, look, spend some time, calm yourself, try to focus on the presence of God. Review your day. Maybe this is in the morning. Maybe you review yesterday. Maybe this is in the evening. You're the, the day. Pay attention to your emotions what was going on. And then maybe there's one feature. Maybe there's one thing. One thing that happened in the day. Kind of focus. Ask God to help you, re- you know, bring these things up to your mind. And then reflect on it. Pray for that. Maybe that was some, something where you showed a lot of grace. You showed a lot of compassion. God, thank you for the grace to be able to do that. Or maybe it was a time when, you you weren't as gracious. You weren't as kind. Um, maybe you're still harboring anger or something. Maybe you're not forgiving. Whatever, whatever happened, ask God to bring these things to your mind, to reflect on that in order to make the, the changes in your life. Uh, this has been a helpful practice. This has helped me become more reflective. Just like think not just letting things pass. Get shoved out of the rug, but really trying to process through, through that. We're, we're complex and we need God's help. So, um, just, you know, God is in the process of transforming us. And that is becoming unified and mature, becoming more loving. And we we, we get to intentionally participate in that. And so, that's, that's what this is all about. And so, um, I, I encourage you all this week to bring this passage of scripture up. Maybe use the passage of scripture as a guide you practice this. You know, where was my speech not true or helpful, or kind? Um, where was I sitting in my anger? You know, where didn't I did show compassion, kindness? These sorts of things. Um, so, so that as we do this, we can live into our new lives in Christ. And uh, these slides. These slides, if you want them, you can ask me for them or they're in the app under the sermon notes. Um, But hopefully, hopefully this is kind of a helpful way of thinking about how we're transformed through the renewing of our minds um, to become this unified and mature body of Christ. So uh, God is God is so good. And just let's just thank Him for that prayer. So pray with these.